Good evening. I hope you have your Bible ready, the old leather and paper version, or whatever you might have on your phone or your tablet. We'll have our Bibles open during our time together tonight. As Doral mentioned, the prophet Jeremiah comes up in our daily Bible reading, the schedule many of us use about this time every year. And there is some transitioning back and forth between these contemporary prophets, Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So you'll be back in Jeremiah some later this month. I want to talk about Jeremiah tonight. And I want to start with this quotation that I found several years ago that has served me well in my study of the book. And I'll come back to it near the end of our study. This is from R.K. Harrison's Tyndale Commentary on the book of Jeremiah. He states very well what the book is about. Jeremiah's task was to try to recall the people of Judah to an observance of divine law at a time when they were poised on the brink of national and spiritual catastrophe. The prophet Jeremiah will be the subject of our attention this evening, and I think there's no better way to begin than to let Scripture introduce this man. So we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 1 here for the next few minutes. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3 is where we'll begin. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem, in the fifth month. Let's pause here. This is what is generally considered to be introductory information supplied in the first verses of Jeremiah. We don't have to gather it from other sources. His family background, he was the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. The time of Jeremiah's work as a prophet of God during the reigns of Josiah, Jehoiakim, Jedekiah, into the early days of the captivity. And the main point of this introduction is to announce that the word of the Lord came to this man, Jeremiah, in the time frame described in these opening verses. And the book in the Old Testament bearing his name, Jeremiah, is composed principally of sketches of biography, history, and prophecy, <clears throat> not always in strict chronological order. So the quote from Harrison that I used earlier clearly states the essence of the book. His task was to try to recall the people of Judah to an observance of divine law in a time when they were poised on the brink of national 
and spiritual catastrophe. There's much to learn about Jeremiah from the first chapter of the book. So let's continue verses 4 to 10. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations, over kingdoms, to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Just as you would expect as a reader of God's Word, this begins with the work of God. And what I call this is divine consecration. And note that this is a case of God taking initiative. This is not a case where Jeremiah said, something has to be done. I'm going to go tell God that I'll do it. No, it's the other way. This is a case of God taking initiative. Here's how early God took initiative to consecrate this man as a prophet. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Let's note, God doesn't frantically pick someone out of the mix of Israelites at the last minute. God functions according to plan and purpose and foreknowledge to make certain His scheme of redemption is carried out just as He determined. Even in times when His nation existed under the pressure and ruin of their own sin, God had a plan. God's choice of Jeremiah came this early. Now, in response to this, Jeremiah displays what might be called ordinary human reluctance when faced with a huge task, called to do a great thing. Verse 6, I don't know what to say. I am too young. That may remind you of Moses who was hesitant and made excuses initially. It may remind you of Isaiah who recognized the burden of his own sin when God called him. Jeremiah claims he doesn't know what to say and he is too young. Like a lot of us may have said, or maybe some of us think now, I'm just not ready, get someone else. God has a perfect response, doesn't he? Don't worry about your age, I'm sending you. 
and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Along with this, to manage and then virtually cancel Jeremiah's fear, God gave this assurance. God said to Jeremiah, don't be afraid because I am with you to deliver you. So instead of fear, God intends for Jeremiah to take refuge in him. Fear and faith would be incompatible in God's presence. Do not be afraid of anyone. I will be with you to deliver you. When the Lord gives this kind of personal assurance to the prophet, it seems to answer all of his initial concerns. Let me stop here and make this note. Ideally, every impulsive, raw fear is defeated by our belief in and our awareness of God's presence with His people. He is with His people as they do His will. And ideally, every impulsive, raw fear is defeated by that faith in God and our awareness of His presence with His people. Well, next, the Lord took action. No pause, no hesitation. The Lord put out His hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth, and the Lord said to him, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. Verse 10, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. What a job description. What a list that you put on that memo pad that says to do and that says urgent. This is God's charge to Jeremiah. Take another few minutes to examine with me the details of this charge and examine it. If you look closely into verse 10, Jeremiah's job description includes six specific things. Pluck up, break down, destroy, overthrow, build, and plant. You might look at those six functions and you might even do some math. And then you might say to yourself, four of these functions are negative. Why not just go out among the people and encourage and build <clears throat> and plant and tell them everything is going to be all right? Why not just go out and convey to the people a positive message of peace? I want to say two things about that thought. One, maybe it seems like it would be more pleasant to do that, but can you just go out to any plot of ground and plant, and harvest? Well, what do you have to do before you plant and harvest? You have to pull the weeds. You have to prepare the soil. Number two, while we read the four out of the six as negatives, we need to think more in terms of the end result. The end result would be positive for anybody willing to repent. And turn back to God. And, and, and then think this. God is always glorified by the preaching of His Word. If some of the message seems harsh 
are negative to the sinner, may all of us be convinced that when God's word is delivered, just as he gave it, if nobody does anything, he is glorified. And the highest value outcome can be expected when people receive his word and tear out those weeds of sin and destruction. So Jeremiah had a very hard job description, but he would not be a failure if he delivered God's message faithfully, even if there was a low conversion rate numerically. He'd be doing what God said. When we do God's work, when we deliver His message, even before anybody starts counting baptisms and conversions, God is glorified by the proclamation of His message. I hope we understand that. Here in Jeremiah 1, you begin to get a sense of the challenges Jeremiah encountered over a 40-year span of time. The book of Jeremiah is one of the longest books of the Old Testament. There are beautifully written narratives, remarkable suspense, figurative language, valuable history, but also in the mix of all that, it is an intensely personal book because it provides the reader with a window into the heart of this man. We are made to sympathize with Jeremiah's hardship. We can picture his eyes streaming with tears because his people are not listening to their God. He is often tender and broken-hearted, but sometimes Jeremiah is upset. He's mad. Sometimes he's doubtful. Then he comes back to his faith in God. He's a human instrument chosen by God for holy purposes, but he's a carrier of great affliction and indignation. Sometimes he's called the weeping prophet. Let's go back into chapter 1. And there's more that will help us understand the person and the message. And that's in verses 11 through 19. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them, Everything that I command you, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, 
I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So two visions set the stage for this man's long, hard work as a prophet. The almond branch signified God was watching over his word to perform it. And there is a little word play there. And the point in this context is just as the almond tree buds out in the spring, God's judgment would occur. You have to wait for that budding God's judgment you'd have to wait for, but it would occur. Jeremiah would know that what God said would come to pass. Just as the appearance of the almond branch budding, it meant something would come forth. The boiling pot facing away from the north meant out of the north disaster would be let loose. And as you make your way through the book of Jeremiah, you see clearly what this is about. I believe you see in this an invasion from the north, the Babylonian invasion. Now, always in the prophets, when God's judgment against a nation is announced, the basis of that judgment is specified. You know, God didn't just blow people away to show that He could do it. Punishment always had a cause and the cause was always specified. So would you look with me at verse 16? I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. But don't stop. There is further specification. They have made offerings to other gods. They have worshipped the works of their own hands. So the Jewish people in and around Jerusalem, Judah would suffer punishment coming from the north. It was God's response to their evil. And God said to Jeremiah, you need to get up. You need to get dressed for work. You need to make these announcements to the people. And I will strengthen you for that. Get up early. Go into Judah. Tell them what I've told you. They will not like it, but you must tell it. And that's what this is about in verses 17 to 19. Dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I've commanded. So this is how the book of Jeremiah begins. And it sets the stage to better understand both God and sin. And a third party here, the lonely prophet Jeremiah. The history of how God was working toward the ultimate redemptive plan in sending the Savior, this is part of that. And it's essential in understanding God and this part of the history. I need to spend a few minutes now, before my takeaways, describing the culture of the times. Who are these people? What was this generation? What was the culture of Judah at the time? And that'll, it'll help us know what Jeremiah faced. Do not think of him simply as a public speaker who goes around and has appointments and lectures people. 
He interacted with people who hated what he was saying and what he was doing and who he was. Jeremiah, I don't expect you to read this. It's not an eye test. Jeremiah did his work at about this time frame. If you look at the left of the chart, you've got creation. Over at the right, the end of the Old Testament. Jeremiah did his work during the time of these five kings, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Jedekiah. Let me briefly review that with you. Josiah, who attempted good reforms, suffered under the imperial giant of Egypt. He was a good man. He did good work in an effort to rid the nation of idolatry. You may remember the book of the law was found in the temple. Reforms were set in motion. Idols were removed from the public places. But the sin of idolatry was not removed from the hearts of the people. They were under the influence of Egyptian idolatry. Jehoahaz, also called in Chronicles, Shalom. Only a brief reign without progress. The Bible says he was a wicked king. He was taken to Egypt where he died. Jehoiakim, you read about in Jeremiah 36 and 2 Chronicles 36, it says he was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Jehoiachin, the Babylonian oppression begins. It was at this time that Ezekiel was taken to Babylon. And Zedekiah, the last king, actually a vassal king or a puppet of Babylon. You read about him later in Jeremiah. Jeremiah's work spans 40 years. And God speaks through him against apostasy, idolatry, perverted worship, moral decay, corrupt leadership. Through these kings of Judah, it eventually became clear the people had no intention of abandoning their apostasy. This is why I used that quote earlier that captures the essence of the book. Jeremiah's task was to try to call the people of Judah to an observance of divine law at a time when they were poised on the brink of national and spiritual catastrophe. What do we need to get from our reading of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and this time frame in the Old Testament? God's message is so important it must be spoken against all risk. Against all risk. I want you to picture Jeremiah walking into some discomfort and then into more discomfort and suffering and pain and imprisonment and threats of death but he kept on walking. Even though he had his moments of weakness and doubt, he kept walking and he didn't shut up proclaiming God's word. Now, from a strictly worldly standpoint, Jeremiah had many good places to stop, to retire, to shut up, to give up, to turn away from all of it and find a wife and have kids and settle down. Didn't do it. 
He continued to speak against all the risk. Jeremiah was viewed as a traitor among his people in Judah. He was persecuted more intensely than any other Hebrew prophet before him. What about us? If current trends are foretelling, it may get very bad for Christians who faithfully deliver God's word and express their love and belief in Jesus Christ. I don't want to be a doomsday prophet. I'm not a prophet. But I think we all understand the times and we see indications of how it could get very bad for us. Something as basic and biologically obvious as the difference between male and female is being denied, redefined, and argued. The tragedy of abortion and alcohol and drugs and the explosion of ruined lives by pornography. There will likely be increasing pressure and threats against preachers and churches to shut up. So the question is, will we, like Jeremiah, just keep walking from discomfort to minimal persecution into more persecution and suffering and threats? Here's what the New Testament says in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says, In latter times some will depart from the faith. And it describes that departure of faith and then calls upon us to continue being holy and preaching the Word. Jeremiah helps us understand that effective speaking of God's message comes from inner reverence for Him that ignites passion. Not just knowledge, but this inner reverence for God that ignites passion. I see that in Jeremiah 29, where he said, There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in. And I cannot. Here is a man with terror on every side. After being beaten, he still preached God's word. It was not just out of knowledge, but inner reverence for God that ignited this passion. It's in the same context in Jeremiah chapter 20 where he said, Sing to the Lord, praise the Lord. One dimension of a failure in evangelism is, it may be some of us have no passion for it. It's uncomfortable. We are afraid we might disturb someone, or be encircled with criticism, or even persecution. The early Christians... Every day and in the temple from house to house did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It was not just knowledge, it was this reverence that ignited passion to deliver the message. Being faithful is sometimes very lonely. In Jeremiah 5, here's how lonely it was. 
Search her squares to see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her. This was in the streets of Jerusalem. And the picture, the image in Jeremiah 5 is Jeremiah running up and down the streets trying to find one man of integrity. What a lonely work. In 16, Jeremiah 16, 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came to me. You must not marry and have sons or daughters in this place. I have not experienced anything like what Jeremiah went through in his suffering and punishment and persecution. Local preaching is hard work. There are some stresses and strains. There can be some tension and low points, long hours. My most immediate source of comfort and encouragement on earth is my wife. Jeremiah didn't have that. By decree from his Lord, no wife, no sons or daughters, no grandchildren, no big family gatherings, no reunions, no quiet moments with the wife of his youth. It was very lonely work as he ran through the streets trying to find one with integrity. Remember what he did have. God said, I'm with you. I hear brethren sometimes complain. The church is small. Not many of us anymore. But don't you see that we've got so much more than what Jeremiah had? Yet also... We have exactly what Jeremiah had in the Lord's presence with us. Jesus says to his people, I am with you. And God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. One more. God is willing to cure the incurable. You come to a place in the book of Jeremiah... Over in chapter 30, and all the way before this, you think God is done with them. That storm is going to come from the north and wipe them out and take the exiles to Babylon. But then you come to chapter 30. And I want you to mark these phrases in Jeremiah 30, beginning at about verse 12. Thus says the Lord... Your hurt is incurable, your wound is grievous. There is none to uphold your cause, no medicine for your wound, no healing for you. All your lovers have forgotten you, they care nothing for you. For I have dealt you the blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great and your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. But I want you to mark these phrases in verse 17, 18, and 22. 17, I will restore health to you. Verse 18, 
I will restore the fortunes of the tents of Jacob. Verse 22, And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. As bad as it was, God would take back a remnant of penitent people. We ought to take great comfort in this gracious and merciful and loving disposition of God. They will be my people, and I will be their God, concerning the penitent remnant. I tell you, these people who lived so long ago in their sandals and robes and without their electronic devices, yet they speak to us. They help us and instruct us through their example. There are many parallels in the commission of Jeremiah and the demand for faithful preaching in our day. Though we be cast into a pit and sink to our knees in the mire, the truth must be preached. Sinners must be called to repentance and saints charged to live as befits those unto whom the stewardship of grace has been given. So, as the commentator said in the quotation I gave earlier, Jeremiah's task was to try to recall the people of Judah to an observance of divine law at a time when they were poised on the brink of national and spiritual catastrophe. Let's learn from the weeping prophet. Let's be standing.